Micah chapter 6, and as you are turning there, uh, it is New Year's resolution time. We're honestly in the middle of a no man's land at this point. Uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's is very, very difficult for, for numerous reasons because all of us have gotten past whatever we were going to get past in regard to eating unhealthy things at Christmas, and now we're just waiting for the new year to begin to make resolutions. The stuff that's left over, uh, as a matter of fact, this morning I got up and walked two miles, and then I had a breakfast of homemade toffee. So there are lots of things that happen. We're all going to make promises. We're all going to make resolutions. We're all going to commit to the bit, if you will, and try to figure out what we will do in response to 2020 and how we will straighten that out for 2021. Every year, people make resolutions to change. And have you ever noticed that no one ever makes a resolution that seems to be fun in any way, shape, or form? Here are the primary commitments that people make in the nation of Texas. Many people will commit to exercise. That's the number one priority that people get to display in their resolution making. Numerous people will also make a resolution to save money. Some will make a resolution to travel. Some will even have a resolution to make new friends. Uh, other popular ones are get more sleep, spend more time with my family, learn a new skill, lose weight, quit smoking. It's never good things like I'm going to eat more cake or I'm going to uh, watch more Netflix. Uh, people make resolutions that are always tied to uh, bettering themselves in whatever way. Uh, so here are the numbers in regard to resolution keeping. 75% of us are good for about how long? Does anybody know? A week. By July, 75% drops to below 46%. Uh, just a couple of years ago, 28% of people claimed to have kept their at least resolu one resolution for the entirety of the year. Coincidentally, 28% of people are lying. 4% of people claim to have, have kept the entirety of their list for the year. In one of the Bible's most well-known passages, God confronts Israel with their past, their problem, what they've been doing. Uh, the, the book is Micah, and it, his name literally means, Who is like Yahweh, or who is like God? And, and Micah is answering this question for the Jewish people. What do I do now that God has confronted us with sin? What is the new thing that I can resolve to do? Because they are looking when he says, you are the problem. You are the issue. Your sin is at work. And their response to him is, well, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this? Micah 6, verses 1 through 8. Let's read through that together. Uh, I'll read aloud. You feel, feel free to follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Now listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise and plead your case before the mountains. And let the hills hear your complaint. Listen to the lawsuit of the Lord, you mountains, and enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against His people. And He will argue it against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? Or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and I redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam ahead of you. My people, remember what King Balak of Moab proposed, what Balaam, Balaam son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from the Akavia Grove to Gilgal, so that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous acts." 
What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before Him with burnt offerings or with year-old calves? Or would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Or would the Lord be pleased with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression? Should I give the offspring of my body for my own sin? Mankind, He has told you, each of you, what is good. And what is it that the Lord requires of you? To act justly. To love faithfulness. And to walk humbly with your God. In this incredibly well-known passage, God is saying to the people when they ask the question, what am I supposed to do? I've already told you what you're supposed to do as my people. So do that. Do what I have directed you to do. Micah is going to make clear in the entirety of Micah, the book, that God hates injustice, that God hates idolatry, that God hates empty religion, that God hates unkindness, and that God hates the empty ritual of the people of Israel. And all of us would agree as, as Old Testament scholars who gather together in this room each week that yes, God hates those things in the people of Israel. But what we should not miss, what we cannot miss, is that in you, in you and in me, God hates unkindness. God hates idolatry. God hates injustice. And God hates empty religious ritual. So, for us as followers of Jesus in 2020, on the verge of 2021, and if there has ever been a year I wanted to get, through, get to more than 2021, I don't know. What decisions do we need to make to remove those things from our lives? Is there a quick fix? Is there a solution that is, that is easy to get our hands on? And God is going to give us direction as to what we are supposed to do. And the direction that He has given to us is the direction He has get, been giving to His people from the very beginning. Rid yourselves of these things and pursue these true things. The definition of the word resolve, according to Google, is to deal with successfully. To move from a disagreement about thoughts and actions to an agreement regarding them. To make a serious decision to do something. There's this guy named Micah. That's who the book's named after, as we mentioned. He's a prophet 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem. He prophesied along the same time of Isaiah and Hosea. And he was writing to God's people, both people, the, the Israelites and the people who were part of Judah, the northern, to warn them that judgment was coming and to offer pardon to everyone who repented. God's pointing out the sins of the people who have ignored the things that seem to matter to God. That we would ignore that God has called us to be caring and compassionate. That we would ignore that God has called us to be, to be kind. That, that we would ignore that God has said, Your empty ritual is never what I've asked you for. God has a story that He wants to tell. In Micah chapter 3, God walks through in the passage this story, speaking on behalf of the Lord. Micah says, This is what God sees when He looks at you. And He 
talks about the religious problem that is taking place in the people. And that religious problem is they have devalued God to the point where they're just going through ritual and they're ignoring actually caring for others, actually caring for the world that God cares for. Here's how Micah tells us the story in in Micah chapter 3. He talks about this. He says, Now listen, leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, aren't you supposed to know what is just? You hate good and you love evil. You tear off people's skin. And you strip the flesh from their bones. This is horrific sounding. It's, we just finished Christmas. That's what happened a couple of days ago. I don't know what your family does at Christmas. Maybe you have Thanksgiving part two. Where it's the exact same meal just again. At Thanksgiving, more than likely, there is someone in your home. There's a turkey there on Thursday, because that's when Thanksgiving is. Really easy to remember. And you debone the turkey. And when you debone the turkey, there will, you'll be forced to eat turkey for the next six to ten days, right? That, that's what you, you have turkey soup, you have turkey sandwiches, you have turkey, turkey, turkey. Just turkey every time you turn around. You're forced to do that. This passage is talking about what's taking place. And he says, as you hate God, good and love evil, you tear off people's skin, you strip the flesh from their bones, you eat the flesh of my people, and you strip their skin from them, and you break their bones. You chop them up like flesh for the cooking pot, like meat for a cauldron. God is saying to the nation of Israel, you are doing unrighteous things to human beings. You are not caring for people. You are not caring for people who've been made in the very image of God. Then he will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer him. He will hide his face from them at that time because of the crimes they have committed. We see the book of Micah, and there are two things that are happening. One is that there is the theme of judgment throughout the book, that God is going to judge sin. And we also see this theme of forgiveness and blessing coinciding with one another. So when we read through Micah, we see these things happening. The necessity of divine judgment and Yahweh's desire to bless his people. Do you see this balance in in God found anywhere else in the Bible? That God would declare judgment on sin and that sin is in complete opposition to his character, yet God desires to bless human beings. Because blessing is the heart of who God is. Where do we see the idea of blessing and judgment coming together in the Scriptures? Well, we, we see them in the cross. Because God is going to judge sin there. That is where sin is dealt with ultimately. At the same time, In judging sin, God is offering to bless His people. This constant tension that God wants to bring the people to a place where they grasp the depths of His blessing. God wants us to see, because He's met with us and dealt with our sin, that He has in so doing blessed us. And God wants to do that not only for the nation of Israel, but God wants to do that for you, and He wants to do that for me. He wants to do that for our church. He wants to do that for our people. So God, in Micah chapter 6, He makes a case for Himself. And it's almost a courtroom scenario. A Perry Mason-esque courtroom, if you will. Matlock, if you are like my grandmother. It is a situation, when you read through the text, where God says, hey, we're going to have a court case, and I'm going to deal with what's happened. And as he deals with what's happened, he begins to call other items. These He begins to call nature to be there in the jury. Because that's the only thing that's been around almost as long as he has. Even though he created it, it's always been there. And you see this anthropomorphized language in Micah chapter 6. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills, hills, hills. I said that twice. I said that with two um, 
Yes, inadvertently. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. God says to the nation of Israel and God says to me and God says to you, look, here's what I see taking place in the way that you respond to me. Let's get everything out on the table. Let's get everything out in front of us and let's deal with this. God has a case against them for their idolatrous, empty ritual that is full of injustice, that is full of wickedness, that is full of hate, that is empty religion calling itself something that it's not. What if God brought that out on the table for you and for me? The empty religion in our hearts. While there is unkindness there, a lack of compassion that reflects the nature and character of Jesus. Here's the crime that God points out. You see the case in three, in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. In verses 3 through 5, you see the crime that is there. God walks through the things He has done for the nation of Israel that seem to be problematic in their eyes. All of these things are pictures of the faithfulness of God. Go there with me. My people, what have I done to you? Verse 3. Or how have I wearied you? You seem to be exhausted by me, God says. Let's see what it is that I'm doing that is exhausting you. What it is that I'm doing that is causing frustration in your heart toward me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. That's an Old Testament throwback to the fact that God delivered them from bondage. That is the big story of the Old God delivers them from Egyptian captivity. So, you're frustrated with me. Do you remember what I did at this point? He keeps moving. He says, I gave you leaders in Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. I did not only deliver you, I gave you someone to guide you when you left. Balak of Moab tried to curse Israel through Balaam. Balaam is an Old Testament uh, person, a, a sorcerer. It's, it's basically like... A sorcerer and a bounty hunter have a baby and this is what Balaam is. He goes and he puts curses on people and he's well known everywhere. But even in that story in the Old Testament, you see God dealing with the nation of Israel through him. God using this weird, weird situation to declare, no, there's a problem here. And when you look in that story in the Old Testament, you see Balaam declaring to Balak, the king at the time, no, we're not going to do that. God's much bigger than this. When Joshua led them through the Jordan, the people broke their covenant with the Lord at the Acacia Valley. Your Bible may say, Shittim. But he was faithful to restore it at Gilgal. This story that God is painting for us, that he points out to the nation of Israel how good he is. He's saying, you seem to be frustrated with me, and all that I've been is faithful to you. Friends, how, all, how many of us in this room, even now, have frustrations in our hearts towards God, exhaustion with Him for whatever reason. Yet in the midst of our exhaustion and stress, all that He has ever been is faithful to us. That he is faithful on top of faithful. That he is faithful, as we say regularly, when we are faithless. When we go through this passage, there's something that's taking place. You may notice it. If you're a parent in the room, you may not notice it because of how exhausted you are. There's this con continual question that's being asked by God. 
In these verses, we see there is a what. Moms, dads, have you ever dealt with a what from your children? What? They're not paying attention. What? What? In chapter 6, verse 3, chapter 6, verse 5, chapter 6, verse 6, that what is there. What? Over and over and over. He's using that what to point out... Hey, in these moments, you were asking about me. You were asking about my faithfulness. You were asking about me, my commitment to you. And all that I've done is display that. God's reminding the nation of Israel with these watts of his consistent faithfulness. In this passage, we see that God is ever faithful. Even when our hearts are far from him. What's the mindset? The mindset in this passage is that we should see that our celebration of God comes through relationship and commitment to Him. Not half-hearted commitment, not empty ritual commitment that, that projects itself in ways that don't look like Him, but in a commitment that says that we trust in who God is and we trust in how God works. We see in this passage that we are establishing that God is faithful and that people in their return, in their response to his faithfulness, they will eventually say, God, I see that you're faithful. And here's what I'm going to do because you're faithful. I'm going to give you stuff. So let's look at what they offer to give him. God's command for them is what we see in verse 8. But in 6 and 7, we see how they're processing what they should do with how God has been faithful to them. What should I bring before the Lord, or how shall I bow before God on high? Should I come before Him with burnt offerings? Friends, if you're here, more than likely, you have had an aroma in your life at some point that pleased you. Maybe someone cooked something at your house these last couple of days that really brought joy to your nostrils and joy to your heart. In the Old Testament, we see the idea of burnt offerings, offering pleasure to God. Should I bring a burnt offering before you, he says? Or should I come before him with your old calves? So we've gone from just burnt offerings that are nostril related to, let's get the filet mignon and let's make sure that we bring that to God. Let's please God with this. The best of our flock, the best of our cattle, the best that we have to offer. Verse 7, we go from your old calves and burnt offerings to thousands of rams or 10,000 streams of oil. God, I see that you've been faithful. So I'm going to offer the burnt offerings, but after the burnt offerings, I'm going to make sure I give you your old calves. But that's not even enough, God. Look, I've got 10,000 rams over here. Dodge rams. 10,000 rams, God. I'm going to offer those to you. No, You know what, God? You've been so faithful, that's not even enough. Let me offer something else to you altogether. Not just the burnt offerings, because I know you're pleased by certain scents, and and not just the, the filet mignon, and not just the rams. Here's what I'm going to offer to you, God. I'm going to give my firstborn for my transgression. This is building to a place where we see, Should I offer my firstborn for my sins? Friends, we don't have to offer our firstborn for our sins. God offered his firstborn for your sin. His only begotten son was offered in your place. The nation of Israel is attempting to please God with trinkets. This is the equivalent 
of your child coming to you with your keys and your wallet and saying to you, go to the store and buy yourself something really nice. They're offering God what's already His. We see in this text that the nation of Israel is trying to put that they're leaving out really important parts. They're leaving out the things that matter the most to the heart of God that we see in the Scriptures. Go with me to verse 8. Mankind, I've told you what is good. And I've told you what the Lord requires of you. You keep telling me you're going to give me all of this stuff. You keep escalating your offer to me to please me. I've told you what to do. And here's what you should do. I want you to act justly. I want you to love faithfulness. And I want you to walk humbly with the Lord your God. I've told you what needs to happen. Now for those of us who are in relationship with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus, He says the same thing. As we are processing what we will do in 2021 that will affirm our relationship with God more than whatever we were doing in 2020, as we're trying to process what chronological Bible reading we're going to do, as we are considering what we're going to do to do more spiritual things, God is saying to you, those are all good. Hear me? Those aren't bad things. But don't do those things at the expense of missing what I've told you from the, get, from the beginning. Because if we have a, an attempt to walk through a chronological Bible study, yet we miss this commitment to God that He calls for in Scripture, we missed it. Because we're reading the Bible and not reacting and responding to it. I've told you what to do. So do it. I want you to do justice, to love kindness, is what one translation said. And to walk humbly with the Lord your God. Friends, that word for mercy here, if you were with us for the entirety of Advent, we walked through the story of Ruth and the story of Boaz and the story of Naomi. And we kept coming to this phrase, this hased, God's compassionate kindness, God's incredible love, God's sacrificial display of love for the sake of your neighbor. And, and that's the exact same word used here. That we would have a hased for our world. That we would have God's deep mercy in mind. The word for justice in the Hebrew is the word mishpat. It's an action. So when we look at this passage in full, what we see is to walk with God, we must display hased. We must display compassionate, sacrificial kindness through action. That we are to act in response to what God has done and not just know what God has told us to do. These things are unattainable and impossible apart from God's display of said through action in the person of Jesus. 
But in this text, as followers of Christ, we see that our attitude, an attitude that is in line with the heart of God, should lead to action. Should lead to a way, to a display of who God is and how God has shown Himself to be that. We look at this text and we see God at work. We've been invited into a relationship with Yahweh through Jesus and He is the full-scale embodiment of God's merciful, gracious, unconditional love that acted on behalf, uh, that acted in a way that was on the behalf of our justice because you could not act on behalf of your own. Jesus is the why for every Christian action. If you want to know how God would treat other people, we should look and see how Jesus treated other people. If we want to know what God would seek after, I want you to look and see what Jesus seeks after. Our conduct is on full display when we look at the person of Jesus. And we would return, because of that, to His hesed, His mishpat, His maintenance, that we're called to maintain love and justice and always put our hope in God. That's where it comes to at the conclusion of verse 8. That you would mercifully display God's action and you would walk with Him. Putting your hope in Him. Holding fast to Him. We see Jesus say this in a different way when He says in Matthew and Mark, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. We see Jesus showing Himself to us, speaking to us from this Old Testament story that, re- that references numerous Old Testament stories and some of them are obscure and some of them are well-known. But God says to you, put on display my merciful love. Live this way as you walk humbly with me. If we miss one, we miss all three. We don't get to differentiate. We don't get to separate these things. God says, here's what I would have you to do. Act justly, love faithfulness. Walk humbly with the Lord your God. Are we going to commit to doing that? You're never going to to conjure something up that will please God. You're not going to create a new thing that that differentiates. You'll never shock the God of the Bible and He'll say, You know, I never thought that someone could do that to make me happy. God finds pleasure when His people are committed to what He called us to. He's pleased by Jesus. And he is pleased by his people caring for those around them as they walk with Jesus. Micah chapter 7 concludes and it says this, Who is a God like you? Forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights. Our God delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. You will show loyalty to Jacob and faithful love to Abraham as you swore to our ancestors from days long ago. Our God is committed to us. Committed to us faithfully. Committed to us wholly so that we can be holy. How are we responding to his faithful love? I would pray that we would think through that this week as we prepare for our new year. And that our hearts would be in line with what God would have us to do and how God would have us to do it. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to say the, the Lord's Prayer together. Father, I thank you that we get to spend time in your word today. And I thank you for the, those who would gather together to be part of our time in your word. Worship through your word. God, we pray for our family of faith. We look forward to gathering together again next Sunday. We thank you for the opportunity that we have had to rest, that we have had to consider you. We've had to think on you to, to wrestle in our hearts with what it means to know you and walk with you. So, Father, I pray your word will pierce our hearts. 
and that we will display your said, your merciful love through action. We ask all of this in the name of Christ. And everyone says, Amen. Why don't we stand together and say the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Love you guys. We will see you next Sunday. If Again, as I mentioned earlier, everything will be back to normal next week. We're grateful for you and thankful for you being here.